Let's uh, quiet our hearts as we prepare, get into the word of the Lord. We thank you, Father, that you give us all that we need for life and for godliness, and that all your promises in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. I ask you to bless your word today, feed it to us by your spirit, nourish us, O God. Strengthen us and encourage us. Give us a taste of the joy that heaven promises. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been uh, covering a lot of ground over the past few months, a lot of subject matter that all seems to mesh together quite nicely toward an end result. We've looked at calling and the question of what is God calling me to do? What is God calling you to do as an individual? But beyond that, what is God calling us to do as a Jesus-centric community of believers? Peter gives us an indication of uh, what that looks like from a throne perspective, looking down. He says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Just let that robe kind of settle on your shoulders a little bit. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for his own possession. That you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Aren't you glad he did that? Mm. We have uh, looked at gifting. First, in the realm of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, power gifts, gifts that demonstrate the grace, mercy, and redeeming compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ through the gospel of his kingdom. Gifting granted to the church as part of the inheritance of the saints and made sure by the seal of the Holy Spirit upon our lives as we live our lives expressing the Father's will on earth as it is where? In heaven, huh? Wow, what a privilege. What a privilege. Paul to the Corinthians says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. King James is a little stronger. I do not want you to be ignorant. Do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans, how many of you were pagans once? (laughs) <laughs> How many practicing ex-pagans? I was a practicing pagan. I, just out there. Yeah. You were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. I want everyone to stand up. I want you to say it. Jesus is Lord. Is there anyone who couldn't say it? I'm not asking that to put you on the spot. I'm asking you to release you from the spot. Seriously, if you can't utter those words, 
Jesus Christ is Lord, you need to be set free from bondage. Okay? That's healing. It's just healing grace. That's all it is. Okay? You can be seated. Thank you. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now, here's, here's the really cool thing. To each. Are you one of those? Are you an each? I'm an each. Right? To each is given the manifestation of the spirit to make them look good. No? Why? Why do you get the manifestation of the Spirit? For the common good, right? God doesn't gift you for you. He gifts you for your neighbor, right? So go ahead and ask the question, who's my neighbor? <laughs> yeah, there's a, that's a whole nother Sunday. We'll, we'll wait on that one. Then we spent a lot of time looking at the ascension gifts of Jesus given to the church as he returned to heaven to be seated at the right hand of his father to rule and reign until every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. These gifts, also known as the fivefold ministries of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, are the means by which the fullness of Christ's giftings are expressed in the church to that church the body of Christ, so that church can fully express the love of Christ to a world stuck in darkness, living in fear of death and without hope, offering healing, deliverance, salvation, and thereby redeeming humanity back to the original design of being image bearers who reflect Jesus and the power of a reconciled life to the world that once was held captive. Ephesians 4.11 says, And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints. How many saints? We saints in here? All right. So this is for you guys. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body. Now listen, those were not two separate things. If you're doing the work of ministry, you are building up the body. If only the leaders are doing the work of ministry, the body is not getting built up. The leadership is. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do what you're called to do because as you do it, you will encourage others to do what they're called to do and the body of Christ will be stronger and stronger in the community that it's been given to. We're building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, womanhood, personhood, humanhood. Just want to make sure I'm politically correct. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Does anyone know what that looks like? abundantly above and beyond all you ever hoped, dreamed, or imagined is what that looks like. I have not seen, neither has it entered into the heart of man. 
Mm-mm-mm. Gee. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly. Are you working properly? Are you a part who is working properly? Have you found your place in the body? If you're a toe, wiggle. Go ahead. All right. If you're a hand, reach out. If you're a heart, extend love. Do what you're called to do. It will make a difference. Don't ever ask yourself, what kind of difference could I possibly make? Christ is in you, waiting to be expressed. That kind of difference is the kind that you can make. It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Also, within the context of these manifold giftings, we have touched on topics such as authority, exousia in Greek, and power, dunamis. That's where we get the word dynamite, right? Power. Both of which are referenced to the church by the resurrected Jesus and then granted and bestowed upon his followers as the means of activating the spiritual life, including and especially spiritual warfare. We are designed for spiritual warfare, we are warriors. church in order to equip them as the kingdom of God builders and as ambassadors of Christ and ministers of reconciliation. I love that word, reconciliation. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18. Jesus came and he said to them, all authority, exousia, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He got it all, right? He paid the price, raised from the dead, Father was really happy to have him back home. He's the son. You get it all. All authority in heaven, all authority on earth. So what's he do? He turns around and he gives it away. To who? Us. Listen to this. Go therefore. Go therefore. I've gotten it. I'm giving it to you. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, And behold, here's a great promise, I am with you always till the end of the age. So exousia, authority, could be represented by the badge a police officer wears so that when he gives a command, we can readily see that he has the authority of the government backing up his words, right? So you could go down to the intersection there if the lights were broken and stand in the middle of the road and throw your hand up at a 16-wheeler and they'd be shoveling you off the street, right? But if a cop goes and he's got that badge and that uniform, he throws his hands up, that 16-wheeler is going to stop, right? That's exousia. That's authority, okay? Again, after Jesus' resurrection, just prior to his ascension, is instructing the disciples, and he says this in Acts 1.8, 
but you will receive power, dunamis, power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. So dunamis, power, could be represented by the gun that the police officer carries, so that if his authority is not heeded and the situation warrants the use of force or power to enforce the authority, to enforce the authority, the badge displays, then the authority he already possesses enables him to use the power he carries. I'm going to say that last one again. This is important. The authority he already possesses enables him to use the power that he carries. You have been given authority by Jesus Christ and been empowered by the Holy Spirit, and because you have the authority of Jesus in you, you can manifest the power that you carry in the temple that you have become. Hmm? And we see that in the book of Acts when those seven sons of Sceva, they see the disciples casting out demons in the name of Jesus, and they say, oh, that looks easier than what we're trying to do. So in the name of Jesus, come out. Well, let me see. We know Jesus and we know Paul, but who the heck are you? And they jump all over this guy and beat him to a pulp. <laughs> no exousia, no authority. He tried to use power that he was not entitled to use. Mm. And just as a police officer is bound by a code of ethics in the administration of his authority and power, so also are we bound by love to minister with grace, compassion, and mercy the authority of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now all of this stuff, calling, gifting, authority, power, and ministry, with all of the outworking of what that produces, such as healing, deliverance, comfort, salvation, forgiveness, spirituality, maturity, wisdom, vision, and purpose, as well as a sense of belonging, and community. With all of that in place, or at least as potential, my question is, where are we going with all of this? What is the goal? The high call of Christ, the end all to beat all that we are striving for. And I'm not talking about at the end of the age when Jesus returns and all that our eschatological theology assures us is coming. No, what I, I'm, I'm aiming at is the now, in this life, in our time and sphere of influence and involvement, what is the prize? Considering this line of questioning, I've come to an understanding of not only what the end goal is, but also what the process of getting there may look like. In simplest terms, Jesus is the goal, plain and simple. And this has been true for all eternity. Listen to his words in Revelation 1.8, and there are several references along this line. Jesus is speaking, and he says, I am Alpha. What's Alpha? Anyone know what Alpha means in the Greek? Beginning, right? I am beginning. I am the first. I am Omega. Does anyone know what Omega is? The end, right? The last. I am the beginning, the last, the first, the end of it all. And everything in between is Jesus. 
That's good theology right there, by the way. <laughs> I am Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Yeah. <laughs> Not the part mighty, the Almighty. <laughs> And in the scheme of things, the goal is to find him as the God who is. How many of you want a yesterday God? How many of you need a tomorrow God? I need a right now God. I need him right now. Okay, yesterday, it's too late for that. Tomorrow, I don't know if I'll make it. I need him right now. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I am with you, with you, present tense, present ongoing active tense. I am with you till the end of the age. The great I am, the God who is present. God with us, Emmanuel. So the first stage in the process of apprehending all that God offers is to discover and experience and become familiar with the manifest presence. Everyone say, the manifest presence. Now I got little quotes around it. You know why? Because of what I just said before. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Lo, I am with you always. That means he is always present. But the manifest presence means he's present and active within the sphere of our need, within the sphere of our influence, within the sphere of working something out so that his kingdom through the church expands and a little less darkness, and a little less burden, and a little less sickness, and a little less bondage has gone on because the manifest presence is made known. This has been God's desire since the Garden of Eden, and one of the major focuses of the redemptive plan to restore our intimate fellowship with him. I think you're all familiar with the story of Joseph, Jacob's son who was sold into slavery by his brothers, and God raises him up through spiritual gifting, right? Through spiritual gifting, he raises Joseph up to be the number two man in all of Egypt. No one was more powerful except Pharaoh, right? Really cool from slave. What a picture, huh? What a picture of Jesus, right? He rescues his family from famine, settles them in Egypt, which at first is good, but later turns into bondage. But listen to his last words. This is the, the last promise in the book of Genesis, okay? Genesis 50, 22. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. Wow. 
Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, and the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. Now, he was the youngest, right? Except for Benjamin, right? So he was like number 11, right? something like that, 9, 10, something. So he says that means all his older brothers are still kicking. He's 110. Wow. Must be that desert air. He says, I'm about to die, but God will visit you. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So the last recorded words in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, is this promise. God will surely visit you. So let's look at the fulfillment of this promise in the book of Exodus some 400 years later. Waiting for something from God? You got a promise from God? Have a prophecy? Sense of calling, gifting. How long is it going to be? <laughs> God doesn't process time like we process time, believe me. <laughs> so 400 years later, the descendants of Israel have become slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt and suffer immensely under his bondage. They begin to cry out to God, who raises up Moses as a deliverer and through great signs and wonders sets the Hebrews free to follow Moses to the promised land. We catch up with them at the start of that journey in Exodus 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit us. Now, did you see what Moses did? This is, remember, 400 years. Anyone ever ask you to keep a promise? Okay. Joseph did. When God visits you, take my bones with you when you go. Right? 400 years later, Moses took his bones. Why? For the promise. For the promise. You see, Joseph connected his own deliverance out of the land of bondage to the promise of their deliverance. And Moses knew if he didn't keep his oath, his vow, his word, he wouldn't get the full package. Careful what you promise. You shall carry my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Sukkoth and encamped at Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire 
to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. The first thing that we should notice about a visitation from God is that God's presence is obvious at all times. Day or night, he is there with a purpose. So watch what he does in Exodus 14. The Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Harioth, between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. So essentially God puts them at a place where they came down like a a gully or a small valley to the Red Sea. They've got the ocean in front of them, and they're at low ground, and this valley coming from high ground, and at the far end of that valley is Pharaoh and all his chariots. So in Pharaoh's mind, I got them. They're trapped now. They certainly didn't didn't learn any warfare techniques here. They put themselves in the worst situation they could ever be in. You ever done that? Yes. You ever put yourself in the worst situation you could ever be in? Come on, be honest. Of course. <laughs> it may first appear that God has led them into a trap. At least that's what Pharaoh thought. But let's look beyond the circumstances to the substance. Let's break down the names that God names in the scripture. Piharioth, that's Strong's number 6367, which is from a Hebrew root word meaning to shatter in pieces or to break asunder. To shatter in pieces or to break asunder. Migdal is Strong's number 4024. It means a fortified city or a stronghold. Anyone ever deal with a stronghold in their life where you just can't seem to get a breakthrough? Baal Zephon is Strong's number 1189. It means Lord of the North, which is the direction of the promised land, the direction they are heading into. So let me take a little liberty with this and give you the Dickacoin paraphrase version. Tell the children of Israel to encamp by the sea so that I can shatter to pieces the stronghold of the Lord of the north so that you can enter and possess the land that I promised to give you. Hmm. Yeah. God wants to shatter the things that are trying to shatter you. And he knows them by name. why confession is so awesome. Oh, you need to confess that, brother. Oh, I I don't know. know, I don't know if I want to speak that out. God already knows, you know. You're not hiding anything. You don't keep anything secret. He wants to destroy the strongholds in our lives that prevent us from attaining the liberty and freedom that is our inheritance in Christ. 
A visitation will always produce high-level spiritual warfare. That's why we always hear the stories of witches and gang members just walking into revival meetings begging to be saved. Deliverance isn't just proof of a visitation, it's a product of visitation. Now here's something really exciting. When the presence is manifest, the battle belongs to the Lord. Listen to what he says to Moses in Exodus 14, 13. Moses says to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, I, I want you to put a situation in your head. For the Egyptians, for the, what's your situation? What's your circumstance? What are you up against right now? That thing that you see today, the thing that's pressing on your life today, put that in that scripture. For the thing that you see today, the thing you're experiencing today, you shall never see again. Wow. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. Be still and know that he is God. And there is a powerful New Testament transition that takes place with this dynamic at the birth of John the Baptist, just prior to the birth of Jesus, who is the ultimate visitation, Emmanuel, God with us. In Luke 167, John the Baptist is born. His father had been, was part of the priesthood at the temple in Jerusalem. He offered up incense. Angel of the Lord comes to him and says, listen, your wife's pregnant. She's going to have a son. I want you to name him John. And he starts to give the angel a third degree. And he says, forget that. You know, I'm just going to make you mute. You know, learn to be silent in front of the Lord and wait to see what he does. You know, so, so Zechariah can't talk anymore. So the, the baby is born, and uh, they're arguing. Uh, his wife says, you know, one name of John, and all the uncles and aunts are saying, there's no John in our lineage anywhere. We don't have any Johns. And, you know, what's Zachariah saying? And all of a sudden, his mouth opens. He says, John, you know. <laughs> Finally getting a chance to say something here. And as he begins to speak in verse 67, it says, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. But you know who was filled with the Holy Spirit before Zechariah was? John in his mother's womb, right? <laughs> so as soon as he said his name, he got the inheritance. Was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the God of Israel, for he has visited. He has visited. God will surely visit you. He has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies. Remember the enemy you were just thinking about? You will see him no more. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy 
to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without what? Fear. Without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, because he has visited us. So we can see from these scriptures that the purpose of visitation is salvation, redemption, deliverance, spiritual warfare for sure, to break the bondage of sin and to show God's power and glory to a lost world. But all of this is from our perspective. And for our benefit, what is God looking for in all of this? I believe that from God's point of view, visitation with all of the benefits it provides for us is merely preparation for habitation. Visitation is preparation for habitation. So let me wrap this up for this week with the song of victory that Moses sang after crossing through the Red Sea and seeing God destroy all of his enemies. This would be a good song to memorize. In Exodus 15, 1 and 2, this is out of the King James. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spoke, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider have he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will. He is my God, I will prepare him a habitation. My father's God, I will exalt him. I will prepare him a habitation. In two weeks, two weeks, we'll explore what it means to prepare a habitation, a dwelling place for the Lord. Next week, Eric's going to be sharing on Thanksgiving, and we'll pick up this topic as we come back on the following week. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, come visit us. Come visit us today, O oh God. We ask for your manifest presence in this place, that you would open up our hearts and minds and our spirits to understand what it means to host the presence of the living God to establish for you, O oh God, within our own beings a dwelling place. Your heart cried through the prophet Isaiah was, where is the house that you will build for me? And I remember the vineyard song so long ago, God. Hear, O oh Lord, hear, O oh Lord, have I prepared a place for you. In our hearts, oh God, we welcome you. Take your place. Take your residence within us, oh God. Fill these temples, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.